Thank you very much for uh, leading us in that community prayer, Jay. Uh, yeah, like Norm said, uh, we as leadership uh, really going forward. And the book of James, you know, talks about the prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. And so, um, man, that prayer, uh, we're pretty much closing prayer right now. That was my message. And uh, we'll get the worship team back up here. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, um, just uh, being able to pray as a community for our, our pastor, uh, for Pastor Chris, is uh, really important in this time. And so I just wanted to uh, draw your attention. Hopefully, most of you guys got the email last night. I don't know if you got it, saw it, didn't get to watch it. Definitely, uh, yeah, if you haven't, you should have received an email from uh, Cynthia via Pastor Chris, uh, just kind of giving a, a health update. And so definitely take a look at that. Uh, just his, his words of encouragement to us and uh, just an update on his current uh, health and everything like that. Um, so yeah, continue to keep him in your prayers. Uh, that is obviously why he's not here uh, today. Uh, he will hopefully uh, be back in person in the coming weeks, uh, but he will be uh, taking a pretty significant break from preaching and a lot of ministry stuff and uh, things like that while he kind of recovers and then uh, figures out the schedule for uh, his next steps medically. And so uh, this morning, as I have the opportunity to preach, I was thinking about uh, the past couple times I was able to preach. And uh, it was very heavy on, you know, just our lives as believers and just kind of really wanting to exhort you, encourage you, and how God desires for us to live our lives through the latter portion of the book of Hebrews. And that's good. Obviously, that is uh, what God's word is for. It speaks to us and calls us how we are to live. And so uh, we want to focus on that and emphasize that from the pulpit. Uh, but this morning, I thought it would be nice for us to just take some time and get our eyes off of ourselves and really focus it on who and what is most important. And so this morning, uh, we are just going to spend the bulk of our time talking about Jesus. Okay, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus this morning, who he is and what he has done. And yes, there will be an exhortation, application, and encouragement uh, from God's word just based on the blessings that Jesus gives us and uh, just uh, because of who he is and what he's done, what that looks like for our lives. But again, uh, the bulk of our time just really want us to focus in on who and what is most important. And that is Jesus. And so our passage for today, uh, we're going to kind of jump to the beginning of Hebrews, uh, chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, as, as Jay read and prayed. And so there's just two main uh, overarching points that we're going to look at today. The first one is the great high priest. And then secondly, the royal priesthood. Okay? The great high priest and the royal priesthood. I believe God wants to remind us today of who Jesus is and what he has done. And, and again, who we are in relation to that, the blessings that we receive in light of that, in light of having him as our great high priest. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, and follow along as I read. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16 says this, since then we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, everybody say Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, for being our great high priest, Lord. And as we uh, look to him this morning, just who he is and what he has done, God, would you just um, help us to, yeah, regain that focus of who and what is most important, God, that we would have our eyes fixed on you, on your son, Jesus. God, I pray that um, your word would go forth in this time now and not return void. God, I pray that uh, I would decrease, that you might increase. And so speak to us now through your word, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. So again, two things that we're looking at, the great high priest and the royal priesthood. So first, the great high priest. Uh, before we do that, it's good to kind of uh, look at the Old Testament and remind ourselves of this idea of the high priest. And so uh, most of you guys know, I'm sure, uh, Aaron, Moses' brother, right, was uh, the first high priest that was instituted by God. Um, and if you're taking notes, uh, Leviticus 16, go into the Holy of Holies, would uh, take the blood of a sacrificed animal, sprinkle it on the mercy seat that was within uh, the tabernacle or, or the temple later on. And so the high priest acted on behalf of the nation of Israel as their mediator, the, the go-between between, between uh, them and God. But the thing to remember is that the, the high priest, Aaron, and all those after him, they were just humans. They were flawed, sinful men like us. I mean, you think back, you know, Aaron being the, the first high priest, but you think back to Mount Sinai, right? Moses is on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, and what is Aaron, who ends up being the high priest, doing? He's totally leading the whole nation astray, building this golden calf, uh, you know, to, so that they can worship him as an image of God, which was completely against God's commands. And so um, we have to remember that uh, these high priests that went before Jesus, they were, they were flawed, sinful men. And so even before they could make sacrifice uh, on behalf of the nation of Israel, of their sins. And that was for the other uh, priests outside the Holy of Holies. And as long as they heard the jingling of the bells, they knew that, you know, things were going okay. And if they stopped hearing those, that's when they had reason for concern, and that's when they would be alarmed. Because, you know, if there was any unchecked sin, unconfessed sin, uh, in that high priest, being in the presence of God within the Holy of Holies, they could easily be struck down. And so they dare not go in after him unless they want, you know, the same fate for themselves. And so they would have that rope tied to their ankle so they could literally pull out the body if that was necessary. And so this had to be done priest after priest. Year after year. Oh, but then comes Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Look at verse 14. 
Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, everybody say Jesus. The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus, not just a high priest, but the great high priest. When Aaron and all the other priests before him or or after him have come and gone and filled this office of high priest temporarily, Jesus is the one true final great high priest. This idea in this verse, passing through the heavens, is kind of symbolic because for the high priest, they had to pass through different areas, three different areas in order to get to the Holy of Holies. First, they went through the outer court and then into the holy place. And then from there, they went through into the Holy of Holies behind the veil where God's presence was, where the mercy seat of God was. And so similarly, as we see uh, Jesus sacrifice himself on the cross to die and raise from the dead, he too went through this idea of passing through the heavens, you know, into the, the atmosphere, into the cosmos, and up into the true Holy of Holies, where he is seated at the right hand of God, the Father. And where the high priest had to go and come just for one day a year, Jesus, because he is God's son, because he is the great high priest, has the authority to stay and remain where he's seated today, even now. Verse 14 says that we have a great high priest. Not we had, not past tense, but present tense. Even now, to this day, to this very moment, Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest and superior to the priestly line because, again, Aaron and all those after him were just mere men, flawed, sinful beings like you and I. But Jesus was fully man and fully God. If we think about Jesus, that means Savior. And it's the earthly name that he was given, the name that God told uh, Mary and Joseph to give him. And so that, that name, Jesus, reminds him of his human form. And yet right after that, what does it say? The Son of God. The Son of God to remind us of his deity. That Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so when he went to sacrifice, there was no animal needed, no blood of a goat or a bull or a ram. No, he offered up his own life. He shed his own blood on the cross. And that time would be once for all and never needed again. If you think about in the, that in the historical context, uh, it's pretty crazy to think, you know, some 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, the temple was destroyed. And so from that time, there has never been any more sacrifice because there's no temple. There's never been any need for a, a high priest because there's no temple. And that's because Jesus is the true and final great high priest. Let's look at verse 15. Let's keep talking about Jesus. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what else makes Jesus our great high priest? What else has he done? He has lived as we live. He has walked this earth like we do. He has experienced the things that we experience. And so Jesus gets it. Let me say that again. Jesus gets it. 
Jesus understands, and he probably gets it more than we even do, right? Because he is the one who created life. He is the one who created emotions. He is love. He is the one that created food to eat. And so follow along with me with this. Wouldn't it make sense that he knows and understands feeling tired, feeling lonely, feeling isolated, feeling defeated, feeling scared, wanting love, being hungry? I mean, think about the Gospels. Think about his life, what we read in Scripture. What did he teach when he was baptized uh, at the beginning of his ministry? He comes out of the water, and what does God say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, who among us is not seeking the approval and love of our parents? To hear from them that they are proud of us. Can you relate? Right after that, he goes into the wilderness, 40 days and 40 nights, on his own, fasting. Isn't it reasonable to think that at some point in that time, he felt hungry? He felt alone and isolated. He felt tired. As he began his preaching ministry, uh, just sharing this radical message of a new kingdom and a new covenant, of the gospel message, what does it say? After he taught those things, what does it say? Many abandoned, many left, many went away. I mean, can you relate? Because Jesus can. He felt being abandoned. Later on in the garden, as he prayed to his father, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. I mean, realistically, isn't it reasonable to think that in that moment, he feared death as a human, knowing that he was going to have to go through excruciating pain and suffering, that he probably feared that. And right after that, when he gets up from praying, what happens? He receives a kiss from one of his closer friends, Judas, who he brought in to be part of the 12, who he invested time in, who he loved, who he entrusted responsibility to. He betrayed him. I mean, who can relate to that? How many of you have been betrayed at some point by a close friend or family member? Jesus gets it. Jesus understands. He took on human flesh and he lived and experienced and endured all the things that we have and could ever experience in this life and so much more. And yet, what does it say at the end of the verse, verse 15? Yet he was without sin. Yet he was without sin. And that's the key factor. Again, because of his deity, he felt all these things, he experienced all these things, but he did not sin. And so that allowed him to be the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. I love the way that uh, Calvin describes this. He says, speaking of uh, verse 15 uh, of the weaknesses, he says, These weaknesses Christ of his own accord undertook and willingly intended with them. Not only that we might attain victory over them for us, but also that we may feel assured that he is present with us whenever we are tried by them. Let me read that again. 
These weaknesses Christ of his own accord undertook and willingly intended with them, not only that he might attain a victory over them for us, but that we may feel assured that he is present with us whenever we are tried by them. Brothers and sisters, this is who Jesus is and this is what he has done. He is our great high priest who intercedes for us before his father. As we move to the second half of our time this morning, I want to spend a few minutes briefly looking at just what that means for us, the blessings that come from that, as if sympathy to our weaknesses wasn't enough. I want us to look at the holy priesthood now, the holy priesthood. And I mentioned earlier that uh, the priest, uh, only the high priest was able to go into the Holy of Holies, and that was just one time a year, right? But because of Christ as a great high priest, he instituted a new priesthood, a new covenant, where now we are clothed in Christ's righteous priestly robes. And now we can all come before God at any time, not just on a certain day. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying direct access for all who would believe in God. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We as a church, as believers, are a royal priesthood. We have been entrusted now with what the priests once were entrusted with, to to study the Bible to teach the truth of God, God's word to, to those around us. We're called to help bring people to God through our witness, through our testimony, to be that new mediator. Turn with me to uh, really quick to 1 Peter 2. We're going to look at verse 5 and 9. 1 Peter 2, verse 5 and 9. First Peter 2, uh, verse 5 says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a what? A royal priesthood. To offer spiritual acceptable uh, sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Jump down to verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A what? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to now live as individuals and as a body of believers, uh, offering up sacrifices as the priest did to God through our obedient lives. We are to proclaim the excellencies of God through our testimonies of how we have been saved from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And we do this not in fear, but in confidence. In confidence, right? It says, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to God. We have no need of ropes and bells, brothers and sisters. We come before God with confidence, not of our own merit, but on the merit of his son, Jesus Christ, our great high priest. So there is no fear in losing our salvation. 
We are upheld by God's righteous right hand because of the work of his son Christ. And so that is why, as we look back at verse 14, we can hold fast to our confession. We can hold fast to our faith because ultimately it is Christ who upholds our faith and not ourselves. How freeing a feeling is that not? Just to know that we can come confidently before God. Uh, as I was thinking about and preparing this message, you know, I have uh, a best friend, um, and growing up, you know, thinking back to like uh, grade school, or whatever. Uh, hopefully, you guys had the same experience. You know, you have that best friend's house that you go to, and you're just so comfortable and confident. You just go straight to the fridge. You grab a soda. You plop down on the couch. And, and, and there's just that comfort and confidence that you have. And I mean, yes, there is an aspect of reverence before God. Uh, I get that. Uh, but hopefully you, you understand. Today was a perfect example too. Uh, you know, a lot of you guys see me as a leader, uh, elder, pastor, whatever. All that sounds, still sounds so weird. Um, but you know, you, you see me in a certain way. You interact with me in a certain way. And yet, you know, my kids, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm setting up for worship, if I'm, you know, looking over my notes for a sermon, when they come here, they know they can have confidence in just running right up to me and saying good morning or, you know, Noel grabbing my leg and giving me a hug. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing or how busy I am, I will stop and make time for them. I will hug them. I will talk to them. That's the kind of comfort and confidence we have coming before our Heavenly Father because of His Son, Christ. And so, as we, uh, you know, have these weaknesses, as we struggle with these things in our lives, please don't think that you have to struggle alone or that nobody understands. Because as we saw, one, Jesus understands. Jesus gets it. He sees you. He sees where you're at. He knows your weaknesses, and yet he has provided the royal priesthood, your brothers and sisters around you to your left and to your right in those times of need. And so seek out the the royal priesthood. Seek out each other when you feel weak. You know, right now, for Pastor Chris, that is a perfect example. Physically, he's experiencing weakness, and yet he has uh, looked to the, the royal priesthood of brothers around us. And he has asked, you know, Norm and Mike and myself to kind of pick up the slack and, and continue, um, you know, overseeing the church. And similarly for, for myself, you know, um, in, in my weaknesses, in my struggles, you know, I'm not trying to be alone, but I'm trying to confidently bring that before God uh, through his son and through the royal priesthood. And so, uh, you know, recently I had been just having a lot of anger towards a certain family member. And uh, it was getting really bad. And so I just knew that, uh, you know, that was an area of sin, a weakness for myself, and I needed to do something about that. And so what did I do? I reached out to David Pack and I, you know, uh, scheduled a biblical counseling session with him. Just had that time to talk to him, right? He's a brother in Christ, part of the royal priesthood, somebody that through him God uses to help me in my time of need. 
And it was a, a really uh, refreshing time to just share some of those things and to hear biblical wisdom from him. Uh, you know, again, a brother in the royal priesthood uh, to just help me in my time of weakness. And so, kind of along those lines, you know, the other thing that I, I felt the Lord pressing upon my heart as just a challenge and exhortation to each one of you, I think a lot of us here, most of us maybe, need to just uh, let ourselves receive grace and mercy. I think a lot of us, again, say that again, most of us here probably need to let ourselves receive that grace and mercy. I think we've been, uh, you know, conditioned by the lies of the enemy and, and uh, just by the world that we're not worthy of it, that we don't deserve it. And yes, that's true in some respects. But honestly, don't give yourself that much credit of being self-righteous. Like, oh, I, I don't deserve. No, just receive it and accept it. God offers it. He gives his grace and mercy in times of need. So just receive it and accept it. I mean, that is the, the very definition of grace and mercy, is it not? Grace at its most simplest definition is, you know, getting something that we don't deserve. And on the other hand, mercy in its simplest definition is not getting something that we do deserve. And yet God gives it both to us in abundance, and we can confidently come and ask for it and receive it and know that he will give it and give us help in those times of need. If we don't uh, let ourselves receive God's mercy and grace, then in reality, we are saying that Jesus' work as the great high priest is insufficient that we are making the gospel to be something that it's not. And so we want to tr stay true to the gospel, that it's by God's mercy and grace through faith that we receive salvation and can uh, receive that help in times of need. And so let me ask you this, brothers and sisters, are you conducting yourself in a priestly manner at school, in the workplace, amongst your friends and family members? Are you doing the work of a priest to bring people to the throne of God, to present them to him? Are you regularly offering up sacrifices of your own life, of your ministry and your service to the Lord, of your finances and your prayers to God? Are you regularly coming before him in confidence and, and giving him those things? Jesus is our great high priest, and he perfectly fulfilled the duties. Being fully God and fully man, he was able to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And because of that, we can now step into a similar priestly role as his chosen people. May we as a church and individuals fulfill that calling as a chosen people, as a, as a holy priesthood. May we approach God confidently knowing that we can receive that mercy and grace when we need it. Not because of our own merit or our own worth, but because of the merit that Jesus gives us. He experienced it all. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he will uphold us with his righteous right hand until we are able to join him. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much just for our time in your word. God, we thank you for Jesus, your son, our great high priest. God, we thank you that he, um, being fully God and fully man, fulfilled every role that the high priest should and so much more. God, we thank you for his atoning work of sacrifice on the cross, for his shed blood that allows us to receive mercy and grace, that allows us to enter in to the royal priesthood. And so God, may we as your people fulfill that role as individuals and as a church, God. God, I pray that, yeah, that we would just um, help be that mediating party between those that do not know you. May we help usher them into your presence, into salvation, God, through our lives, our testimony. We thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And it's in him, his name that we pray. Amen.